Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, November 4th, 2022 edition of On Iowa Politics. It's our last podcast before Election Day on Tuesday. So today we plan to talk about Iowa's top elections official, talking about election security and integrity, former President Donald Trump campaigns in Iowa, and then we'll go around all these races and look at the closing arguments that candidates are making ahead of Tuesday's election. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette and Cedar Rapids. With me today are Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief Tom Barton. Good morning, Tom. Good afternoon, Aaron. Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times is here. Good morning, Sarah. Hello, Aaron. Fresh off of what I can only imagine is about a half hour of sleep after covering the Trump rally last night is Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal. Hello, Jared. Rebel, rebel, you've torn your dress. Rebel, rebel, your face is a mess. (laughs) That was on the playlist? Oh, yes, it was. (laughs) That playlist is so fascinating. We could do a whole podcast on, on the Trump campaign event playlist. Oh, I um, wrote some words about it last night. <laughs> I, I saw. Uh, is it in the story too? I saw oh, it. Oh, it is. It is. Okay, yes. very good. And uh, also here we have Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. And does he still play himself off with uh, "You can't always get what you want"? No, that that did not happen last night. I, I Which can say I, that. And sixteen. That was. I thought. Always thought that was odd. It's like what? What? What does that mean? <laughs> I had the same reaction. Like, this is very interesting. I mean, it's it's not as clear cut as when Al Gore walked onto the stage in Fort Dodge one time to the tune of Sex Machine by. Um, oh my God. By James Brown? James, James oh. Brown. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't so think the, it was on. I don't think it was on purpose. <laughs> I think yeah. it was just a happy accident. No, the uh, the intro the intro last night we got uh, YMCA one of his favorites and then yeah. uh, a hard cut to uh, you know proud to be an American by uh, Lee Greenwood. Which Man. Phantom song? I saw you said Phantom of the Opera was on. The I play. I don't know Phantom of the Opera that oh. well, but it was something from Phantom of the Opera. I do know that. And that has been Jared McNett, folks. We yes. have to say yes, goodbye yes. to Jared now. all right let's get down to business as we are clearly talking about former president donald trump held the campaign rally thursday night in sioux city where he stumped for iowa republicans like u.s senator chuck grassley and governor kim reynolds and also maybe reminded first in the nation republican iowa caucus goers that he's still out there uh our jared mcnett was there to provide the coverage uh check out his story online he Live tweeted it. Go to Jared's Twitter and find that there. Um, it looks like uh, from reporting, Jared, that uh, during the uh, remarks, we got many of the, the greatest hits. Uh, was there anything new in Trump's remarks last night? Well, he uh, he talked about how handsome a guy dressed as Uncle Sam was. Um, I don't remember that from older rally videos that I've seen. Um, when he talked about the estate tax, he asked um, – some of us have horrible children. Do any of you have horrible children? I think that was a, a newer um, riff. Um, when, he, when he was talking about policy at one point, he was talking about um, passing legislation to make mass deportations of undocumented immigrants possible. And then he paused to ask people to move forward um, and then said every Democrat should be thrown the hell out of office if people want safety for their community and family. Um, so that was kind of the switch up. And then while, uh, painting this picture, which was kind of throughout, um, painting this picture of America in total ruin since he's been gone, he said the country is no longer revered for its airports, which again is a, uh, a point I haven't heard made before. 
And, you know, that was that was kind of the vibe throughout the stuff that seemed prepared and kind of hemmed closer to a campaign speech that was meant to bolster Reynolds and Grassley. He would barrel through just to get to the asides about everything else from uh, Crooked Hillary, got to mention still. Um, men supposedly pretending to be women to win swimming titles got mentioned. Um, at one point he asked, what the hell is WhatsApp? Um, so, you, you know, the, the, the campaign stuff was there. The, the bones of it were there, but it was clear that that was not what he was most interested to be talking about. And even some of the stuff really meant to paint Grassley in particular in the most positive light possible um, like saying how young he seemed, which is something I called last week. I knew that was going to come up. Um, and he talked about, you know, Grassley's support for ethanol. Some of that stuff kind of read in a way that would be weird to some folks. Like Trump said that Grassley loves ethanol. And then Trump said, I asked Grassley, how good is it? And then he said, it doesn't matter. We want it, which I know at least online in my mentions, people were uh, raising a stink about uh, about that. So that was the that was the constant tension the whole night, you know, giving endorsements to Grassley and Reynolds and, and Brenna Bird, um, who spoke near the beginning, and then talking about things he wanted to talk about, like rigged elections and all the lawsuits he's he's currently in. Yeah, um, I was going to ask you what your sense was, Jared, because um, it, it's kind of interesting that he was even here, right? Like he he's later this week before the election, he's going to go to Ohio. Ohio pardon me, Ohio and Pennsylvania, which make a ton of sense with the competitive Senate and gubernatorial races there. I, why was he in Iowa? What, what's your take on that? What's your read on that, Jerry? Is, is Chuck Grassley's race that close, do they think, or, or, is, or was Trump here for other reasons? I mean, it, it still does really seem like a big reason is something that I talked about last week, that of any like part of the entire state, the, the part – part of the state where Grassley did the shakiest in the primary, granted he still won overwhelmingly everywhere was around here. You know, he got 62% of the vote in Woodbury County where Sioux city is, which was well below the statewide average. And, and I think that matters. And that's something to make sure does not happen in the, the general election that those people come home and they vote for a Republican. Like they always, they always do in the past. Um, but, you know, as things went along last night and, you know, we got two different teases, for Trump running in 2024, um, it's hard not to think a part of it too is to be showing up in Iowa since Iowa, at least for Republicans, is probably still going to be first in the nation in 2024. And so it's never too early for even someone like Trump to, to come here and show some love to the the party elites in, in the state. Yeah. Well, what, what was the exact quote? Very, very, very probably. Very, very probably so. Yes. <laughs> We don't get more definitive than that, folks. Um, Todd, let me just toss that to you real quick too. It, it, is, is you think uh, Jared's pretty much got it there? I, I, you know, as we puzzle out why Iowa, why, why now for for a Donald Trump visit? Well, I, you know, I think generally everything he does is about promoting his own brand. I mean, he was able to come here and and say some stuff about Grassland and Reynolds and help them you know, rally the base. But I think primarily he came to Iowa because that's where the presidential nomination contest is going to begin and he's going to run for president. The Times this morning reported that he's going to make the announcement probably on very, very, very probably on November 14th. 
So he's going to be in, he's going to run, and he's probably not going to get much more than a token challenge from other Republicans. So, uh, but he wants to, you know, he wants to make sure that that that's the way it stays. So he comes up here and and draws a, a crowd in Northwest Iowa and shows that he's still the sort of the leader of the party. Yeah, just just that, that announcement just in time to keep your family's Thanksgiving dinners uh, just ex- that much extra spicy. So we can all look forward to that. <laughs> yeah, um, you you said something interesting, and I don't want to belabor this because there'll be plenty of time to talk about this down the road, Todd, but. You think he will essentially clear the field if he gets in? I, I suppose. It, I mean, I think among the big names, like I wouldn't, I really wouldn't expect Ron DeSantis to win if he if Trump gets in. I think they kind of occupy the same lane to some extent. I mean, you know, his, you know, people that run for president, their egos are enormous. So I, I, I can't always read that. So if Ron DeSantis really feels like he wants to run for president, he probably will. I'm thinking it's his opposition is more going to come from the Liz Cheney's and Larry Hogan's and, and some of those folks that are yeah. not, that so are Mike not Pence, pro-Trump. You don't think he will? Or, or Mike Pence. I mean, you know, okay. I, but you know, I, Trump is going to have such advantages and he's still yeah. in, in so many parts of the country where Republicans are strong, he's still the the person yep. who's the most popular. And so I, I wouldn't expect, I think it would be, I think it would be questionable to run against him if you are an actual major competitor. But like I say, you just, you never know what's going through some of those, these folks' minds. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like I still have to go back to, you know, 2016. I mean that the field then was one of the biggest ever and had some like obvious, like major like stars in it. And he wiped the floor with everybody. So mm-hmm. I don't know why it would be any different this time around, especially now that he's been gone. And for a lot of people, you know, absence makes the, uh, the heart grow fonder. So <laughs> people would love to vote for him again in the primary if he runs. Well, the only, and the only thing that would change that is if you started seeing numbers uh, beyond Republicans that show he's not a so viable gen- general election candidate. Maybe that he's, you know, he can win the Republican nomination, but maybe a kind of a, a longer shot to win the presidency because of, well, everything. So, I mean, at that point, you might see some people think about getting in if that's if that's the case. I I don't even know if that changes things, but it's it's possible. And I wonder if some of the 2022 results we see on Tuesday will maybe affect that. Like if there are quite a few of the Trump-backed candidates that yeah. win or if maybe they all lose or may some of them lose or I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that too. Yeah, yeah. that's that's a really good point because that – I mean that's going to tell the party at large and their leaders, you know, what mm-hmm. what the landscape is like. So. Yep, yep. Yeah, plenty to talk about down the road. Um, let's uh, move on here to – um, one of former President Trump's favorite topics, as Jared noted, election security. Uh, this past week, well, and in recent weeks, uh, uh, Iowa Secretary of State Paul Pate, the stop, the, pardon me, the state's top elections official, has been dedicating some of his time to attempting to assure Iowans that elections here are safe and secure and that their votes are accurately counted. Uh, Tom and I, you and I both covered um, Secretary Pate on this topic here recently. Um, tell us exactly how Pate has been attempting to reach Iowa voters and, and what's what's the message he's, he's trying to get out there. Yeah, so um, 
he's been trying to reach voters in in a number of ways, um, largely on social media. Um, the Secretary of State's office um, has been um, posting consistently um, every day, um, pushing back on um, some of the um, election myths um, that are out there. Um, his the Secretary of State's office has also set up a dedicated myth versus facts website, again, pushing back on lies and distorted facts about elections in Iowa. He's also been uh, traveling the state, uh, both um, in his official capacity as a Secretary of State, as well as a, a candidate, um, and taking those opportunities to um, speak to voters, to educate them about Iowa's election process. Um, so, uh, for example, um, you know, pushing back um, on the myth that um, vote tabulators are, are connected to, to the Internet or to each other, which they're not, um, and, and the notion that, um, that they're um, vulnerable to hacking and manipulation, um, Iowans vote on paper ballots in all elections, and those ballots are preserved to ensure accurate results. And then every vote tabulator is stored securely when not in use, and then it undergoes a logic accuracy test in which the public is invited to attend and watch. And he's been going to um, a lot of those um, public testings um, in different parts of the state. Um, uh, and um, again, educating uh, uh, Iowans, educating voters about that process, um, you know, bringing public awareness um, to that and, and to the transparency um, that's, in, that's incorporated into that. So sample ballots are tested on the machine to ensure that the tabulators are working correctly um, and recording um, the proper votes. And then Post-election audits are conducted in all um, 99 Iowa counties to ensure that um, the hand count and the tabulator totals match. And in the 2020 elections, the post-election audits match tabulator results in all 99 counties. And then, um, wow, my sense of time anymore has has gotten away from me. Was it this week, Aaron, or was it last week that he announced that they would that um, every every county in the state would do uh, yeah. a second? I'm with you. I feel like it was this week. It was this week, right? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, I mean, time time runs together anymore these days. Yes. Um, yeah. But anyway, um, so the, the Secretary of State um, this week announced that um, in uh, every uh, every county would do a second um, post-election audit. Yeah. And and uh, and so and what I saw from the secretary was he held a press conference here in, in Des Moines. Well, out of Johnston at the Iowa National Guard head, headquarters, um, where he brought the other state agencies, um, a couple other state agencies in, and and some federal uh, cybersecurity officials, and 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 kind of repeated a lot of stuff that Tom laid out, and also talked about the cybersecurity side of things that they're watching for. Um, it's interesting because, as, as Tom wrote about last week, a lot of, if not the vast vast majority of the misinformation that uh, he is having to fight is coming from within his own party when it, it's it's republican candidates and and officials who are, are the ones casting doubt on these election results including uh right from the top former president trump um and we asked him about that and he did say anytime that anybody casts doubt on election results it makes my job harder um todd let me throw this at you um and anyone else can jump in uh, too, but um, 
it it seems like that Secretary Pate is at least making the right kind of attempt to get information out, the correct information out there and push back against, you know, conspiracy theories and, and misinformation and lies and whatever else you want to call it. Um, but the criticism he still gets is that he doesn't take that last step of standing up to when, as I just said, members of his own party, you know, um, say these things. And, and he doesn't call that out specifically and, and doesn't, address that specifically. How would you assess uh, Secretary of State Paul Pate's handling of election misinformation? Well, I, I would agree that he's he's doing the right thing based, you know, putting out this information and, and trying to let the public know that they're, you know, the system is, you know, that a lot of the misinformation about how the system works isn't correct. And he, yeah, and he, that's the knock on him, though, is correct that he, you know, in the legislature, we, we had this 2020 primary that, that drew incredible turnout and mail-in balloting was the main reason for that amid the pandemic. And then the legislature went in and, and made it more difficult to vote absentee, even though we'd had this great problem for free election with high turnout and participation. And he sort of just kind of didn't say much. I mean, he let it happen. And when he, when he had to know that these steps weren't necessary and, and would actually be bad for the voting system because it was going to compress the time you had to vote absentee, it was going to cause people to not get their ballots in on time. And, and, you know, their requests, their requests would be denied if they were at, you know, with the earlier deadline and all of those things. I mean, he knows that, but didn't, you know, he never went before a Republican, before a legislative committee and said any of that stuff. He just kind of went along with where they were, where they were headed. So yeah, he's, he's sending the right message about the system being, you know, almost, I mean, the idea that you could perpetrate widespread fraud to the point where you could turn a statewide election is, I mean, it's, it's a virtual impossibility, but, you know, he also didn't do enough to stop his own party from making the, uh, making the uh, election system, particularly early voting, less, less accessible. So that's, that's a fair knock on him. Yeah. So I'm sorry, go ahead, Tom. I was just going to say that um, I asked Pate about the criticism that he received um, and noting that he was among a small group that attended an October 11th victory rally in Cedar Rapids that was headlined by Harriet Hagman, uh, who's supported by former President Donald Trump and defeated uh, Wyoming Congresswoman Liz Cheney in, in a Republican primary. Um, Hagman has publicly said that the 2020 presidential election was rigged against Trump. Um, as, as uh, the former president and his allies have falsely claimed. So Pate told me that he attended the rally on behalf of uh, the Republican Party of Iowa, not Harriet Hagman, and that to some extent he was also there to answer questions about elections. Um, and he told me that he's not publicly chastising uh, Republican candidates and officials um, who have alleged voter fraud um, so as to avoid giving their false claims publicity, focusing instead on providing what he called the hard facts to counter the myths um, and, and saying that if he started bringing more attention to them, 
um, that that just um, gives them more oxygen, um, gives them notoriety, potentially lends more credibility to their view, and that, uh, quote, I'm not going to help them. Um, and, and, and went on to say that instead that he's going to stay uh, tuned in um, on the myths and the facts and, and uh, hope that, uh, I guess, it works out that way. Yeah, um, I, I remember reading that in your story. That was an interesting uh, response to that, that, uh, that kind of criticism. Um, to circle back to something you said, Todd, about that voting laws change, too, I can't help but remind our listeners um, that when that bill was being debated and specifically on the because, again, I've said this before, a lot of those pieces that Democrats didn't like, you know, a, a, a neutral observer could at least acknowledge that there's an argument to be made about security of ballots and, and whatever it may be be you know the whether there was actual fraud happening is a completely different thing but you could actually see the argument the one thing that there really was no argument for it was the early voting window and why it had to be compressed so much it used to be um uh 40 days plus the week after election and now we're down uh to a fraction of that the one argument that someone tried to make bless their hearts was that it would help make election campaigns shorter um (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I invite you all listening to this podcast to sit here right now in early November 2022 and, and ask yourself if you feel like this campaign felt any shorter to you. I think we all probably can guess the answers. That was a doozy. Speaking of those campaigns, let's talk about them. There's an election coming up in four days as we record this. Um, and because this is the last chance, we'll all gather and, and cast pod about uh, – this this election um uh let's let's focus on the uh some of these races and the home stretch and what the candidates are talking about we've all been covering this campaign exhaustively we've all heard the stump speeches enough to haunt our dreams or nightmares um let's so let's talk about these final days what are, what are the candidates stressing down the home stretch has anything stood out to to you guys as, as you hear folks in these final days let's let's go around the horn um and let's go Let's go east to west. Uh, Sarah, uh, in the Quad Cities, has anything jumped out to you? Has anything stood out lately as you hear these final pitches? Yeah. And if I can make just a note on the Secretary of State conversation, that um, I wonder, you know, if we follow the, you know, if he, if Secretary of State Paul Pate did name candidates and say, hey, this person is wrong when they said this. I mean, I think he's probably thinking he runs the risk of becoming a, a Liz Cheney type pariah and mm-hmm. might lose his effectiveness as somebody who's an elections official and might, you know, people might not, people right. who's trying to get the message out to might be like, oh, you're just a rhino. You're not credible. Yeah. You're just trying to discredit this candidate. So I wonder if that's also part of his thinking. I think Absolutely. that's a fair question. Um <laughs> But as far as candidate messages, um, I know that this has been an issue like throughout uh, the campaign, but um, there is we had a visit from um, from Mike Franken and Christina Bohannon last week, and they both emphasized um, uh, that if if Democrats take control of the of Congress or retain control of Congress, that um, they'll be able to protect Medicare and Social Security and Republicans aim to gut Social Security and Medicare if they take over. Um, And so I just thought 
I, I didn't feel like in past visits, they maybe emphasized that quite as much. Um, and so, and it, I think it just kind of represents a national shift in the Democratic Party from focus so focusing so heavily on abortion to then um, shifting their focus, finding, trying to find maybe a new message, uh, or not a new message, but shifting the focus a little bit to um, Medicare and Social Security. And, um, and I know Senator Grassley was also here last week and um, asked him about uh, what he thought about the sunsetting provision and the and um, privatizing uh, Social Security. Um, and and he said he doesn't support either either of those. He doesn't support privatizing Social Security or Medicare. Um, and so and that really harkens back to Senator Rick Scott, U.S. Senator Rick Scott had released a 12-point policy that would sunset Medicare and Social Security after five years. Um, and Biden has also said that this is Republicans' main talking point. And, um, and so Senator Grassley didn't uh, seem to want to didn't support that was very clear that he he thought that Social Security and Medicare were part of the uh, social fabric of the country is what he said. But um, still, though, there uh, at least the two programs will it'll be interesting to see how this affects debate on those two programs going forward, because they do expect to be depleted in the next 15 to 20 years. Social Security uh, ex- expect to be depleted by 2034 without any changes to the program. So, you know, I, I think it's interesting how the politics of this, and I'm, I know it's been going on for years before now, but um, how this will affect conversations on what to do about that going forward. Yeah, that's a good one. I agree that you're starting to hear a little bit more about that. And and I think Republicans are creating some opportunities for that. You mentioned Rick Scott's bill, um, Ron Johnson, Senator Ron Johnson up in Wisconsin. Um has has talked a little bit about this um and and i now the candidate or or congress member escaped my mind but uh, just recently here there's been a video surfaced of a republican member um going even further and talking about ripping social security out by its roots yeah that's um, mike lee in utah thank you that was it that was it thank you so so some openings being created and 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 you're right about senator grassley he said the same thing to us back in the uh, Iowa press debate, in fact, I believe he said, I think it's a stupid idea, uh, um, using the actual word stupid. Um, uh, but as we all know, as and as Democrats will tell you, um, parentheses, parentheses, defund the police, um, even if you as a candidate don't support a policy, if it's stuck to your, pol- to your party, uh, sometimes that can be a weight on your campaign. So that'll be interesting to see. Um, Tom, Boy, social uh, social right, security did not come up at all last night. At, at no point did I hear the, the word social security. Oh, that's disappointing. <laughs> Missed opportunity. Yep. Um, Tom, how about in Cedar Rapids? How, anything um, jumping out to you in these late stages? Yeah. So the messaging from uh, Republicans have been um, pretty consistent. You know, they've had a, a, a clear, concise, cohesive message. Um, inflation, border security, and crime. Um, And that's um, what we heard over and over again um, from Republican candidates um, who have been making campaign stops in the area. Um, You know, we heard it from Governor Reynolds. uh, We heard it from Congresswoman Ashley Henson. Um, So, um, yeah, so their main um, messaging, excuse me, um, has been... um, 
talking about supporting law enforcement, um, touting uh, three rounds of tax cuts enacted over uh, the last five years. Um, and then um, specific to these Iowa races, particularly the governor's race and um, the second uh, congressional district race, um, giving parents more authority in their children's ed education. Um, and, um, you know, the latter boils down to um, uh, Reynolds um, supporting um, enacting a ban on uh, transgender girls uh, playing high school sports and signing legislation prohibiting mask and COVID-19 uh, vaccine mandates in schools. Um, Henson as well, um, uh, kind of playing that up and um, talking about legislation that um, she has um, supported in, in Congress to, um, to, to um, push schools um, to, to reopen um, during the, the pandemic after um, having received um, federal COVID-19 relief money to, to be able to do so, or at least to, to be able to facilitate that. Um, and then also focusing on um, uh, the um, Lenmar School District um, policy related to um, transgender students and, and um, protecting them from harassment and, and discrimination. But, um, you know, framing that policy is, is one that she feels, um, uh, you know, is, is a sign of government overreach. And, you know, she's repeatedly said, and, and this has been among the largest applause lines that she's gotten at her campaign rallies, talking about how um, children belong to parents, um, not to, to government. And that, um, and that this Lenmar policy, in, in her view, um, sidelines parents and, um, you know, inserts government into um, making, making decisions that should be reserved um, to, to, to parents. So that's been a pretty big consistent theme um, we've heard from, um, from Republican candidates. Um, on the Democratic side, uh, side uh, Democrats uh, continuing to um, kind of uh, double down in, in, in focusing on um, the issue of reproductive rights and, and, and women's rights and, and access to abortion. Um, you know, we've, we've, we've uh, heard that uh, as, a, as a main focus from um, both Liz Mathis um, and, and Deidre DeGere. Um, and I think that that's the contrast between Democrats and, and, and Republicans. Um, Democrats, again, have this clear message about, um, you know, needing to um, elect Democratic or retain, excuse me, Democratic uh, majorities um, to, um, to, to protect um, abortion rights. Um, apart from that, though, um, their, their messaging has been a lot less, I guess, co consistent and cohesive and concise as compared to Republicans. You know, it's been inflation, um, crime, um, and um, and border security. Um, for Democrats outside of, of abortion, it's kind of been um, a, a, a hodgepodge. Um, you know, from um, Deidre DeGere, education has been um, a clear and consistent focus, um, pushing back against um, Governor Reynolds' proposal to use taxpayer funding to provide scholarships for 10,000 Iowa families to send their um, students to, to, to private school and talking about the need to, you know, restore Iowa's standing nationally as, um, as a leader in um, public education. Um, Mathis um, has also uh, been talking about, um, as, as Sarah had, had talked about, protecting Social Security, Medicare, 
Um, she's also um, talked about um, ways Democrats are trying to lower um, inflation and, and, and just everyday living costs um, through recent legislation that they've passed to reduce the deficit and, um, and lower um, health care costs. So those have been kind of the key messages that we've been hearing from them. Yeah. All right. How about how do, uh, in Western Iowa, uh, Jared, does it sound the same? Are you hearing anything unique to that region or anything new down the home stretch here? Um, well, something we've talked about on and off throughout the um, entire year, the carbon capture pipelines, uh, multiple races in uh, Siouxland, there have been candidates who voluntarily talked about them as a reason for running. And the most interesting of which is the race for Iowa House District 10, um, where there's a no-party candidate, Dan Wall, who's running against the four-term incumbent John Wills, uh, who's been the Speaker Pro Tem in the Iowa House. Um, with that particular race, Dan Wall has said specifically that uh, Summit Carbon's pipeline plans got him to run, and he's actually in a lawsuit with the company now, too. And so he's kind of built himself as the person in that race who is standing up to, to big corporate money. Um, and there's been uh, some races on the Nebraska side, too, that are being waged over the same kind of issue. Um, with the Iowa House District 10 race, I, I don't know how much of a shot um, Dan Wall, who's making a big deal about pipelines, has got because John Wills is well-connected and a multi-term incumbent. But I'm just really intrigued by that race um, and, and others around here as, you know, referendums of a kind on, on these pipeline plans and how, you know, actual everyday people feel about them when they go to the polls. Yeah, that's a good one. That's going to be interesting to see if that issue, and it's not going to be any, clearly any kind of big statewide, yeah. you know, impact, but it, it'll be interesting to see if on a micro level, if it, if it impacts any uh, races um, across the state, especially obviously in those areas where those pipelines are, are proposed to be moving through. Mm -hmm. Um, Todd, uh, to finish us up here, let, let me take a slightly different uh, question for you. Um, let's take a broad scope look at this thing. What, what does your gut tell you about this election? You've been through one or two campaign cycles, I think, uh, Todd. Uh, draw on that experience and, and uh, tell us, do you think this is going to be the red wave that Republicans believe is coming? Our polls may be missing some Democratic voters and things could be uh, closer than, than Republicans expect. What, what do you think November 8th? And I guess more appropriately, what do you think November 9th will look like in Iowa? Well, it's, you know, I, I think it's going to be a good night for Republicans. I mean, I think Governor Reynolds is going to win uh, and, and the legislature is going to remain red. Uh, I think probably in the end, Chuck Grassley pulls it out. Uh, you know, I, that that one's harder to read because you've it's it's not just a partisan dynamic. You've also got this dynamic of he's been there for so long, and and there are some people even among Republicans that probably think it's about time to to you know for him to come back to Iowa. Uh, and from there, you know, I, I would expect Tom Miller and Rob Sand to win for Democrats. I think you know, but they're they're they might have a smattering of, of some victories. They might pick up a seat or two in the Iowa House. The Senate's probably going to become more Republican. Uh, and then the congressional races are competitive. I, I really don't 
know exactly how that's going to go. I think Republicans are probably favored, but you know, there are the Democrats have put up good candidates, and and they have an incumbent in, in the third and Cindy Axney, and and so that's it's always tough to beat an incumbent. So I think it'll be overall a better, a far better night for Republicans than Democrats. But I think Democrats may score enough victories to at least, you know, not not have to, you know, completely cry in their beer after the after the, the dust settles. Uh, and I mean, and nationally, I have no, I mean, everything I read is just nobody knows exactly what's going to happen with the, with the control of the Senate and some of those, right. those races. But yeah, I, I think it's, you know, and I, this, how this, these predictions may have a short shelf life because we've got another round of Iowa poll results coming out uh, on Saturday night. So we'll are they saying. for sure? No, I hadn't heard that yet. Yeah. Do one big one. Okay. Yeah. Well, there's there's going to be a Senate and governor. I know for sure. And then they I, usually I don't... do. So I thought, but then I thought I hadn't heard of one. So I thought, well, maybe not this year. And then some uh, generic ballot, probably that'll be, that'll be really helpful. Yeah, as always. Um, the only thing I'll add to this, and Tom, help me out here because I, I'm pretty sure this was in one of your stories. Uh, taking a look at the early voting um, trends, they're down overall, but especially among Democrats. Did I remember that right from your story that uh, Democratic early voting is down from 2018? Uh, er, yeah, early early voting in general uh, is down from from 2018 and 2014. Um, I can't off the top of my head recall specifically how the Democratic turnout compares to 2018 okay. and 2014, but just across the board, um, yeah, you've you're, you've seen a diminished early vote turnout compared to 2018 and 2014. And and, and but obviously, as we mentioned, you have a shorter early voting window. Right. Um, this this year, yeah, and that's um, what I was gonna say. I, I wondered. So then, the open question is: Is that a signal that turnout's going to be down, or is it a signal that fewer people are voting early because of those new laws, and and that ground will be made up on election day? And that that'll be interesting to me. To so so the latter is kind of what I've been hearing from um, from local county auditors, from the the Lynn County Auditor and the Johnson County Auditor, is that because of that compressed early voting timeline. Um, it just means that they anticipate that um, more people will be voting on election day. They anticipate that we'll still see roughly the same type of voter turnout that we have in um, the last two midterm elections. Okay. Um, um, and, and so they're an anticipating, at least in kind of the larger metro areas, that um, because of that reduced early voting, they anticipate that there'll be longer lines on election day, that more people will just be, you know, voting in person at the polls on election day. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, there it is. The table set. When next we meet, we'll be talking about election results and hopefully we'll have all of them <laughs> by that point on next Friday, uh, at least in Iowa, at the very least. Uh, Tom can tell you all about how much fun it is when an election's not quite over on election day and gets dragged out. <laughs> But that's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. If you enjoyed it, tell your friends and subscribe to us on any number of streaming audio services, including iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon. If you have any topics to suggest, you just want to reach out, send us an email at podcasts at thegazette.com. And now that you've listened to the On Iowa Politics podcast, make sure you're also subscribed to the On Iowa Politics newsletter, where every morning in your inbox, you'll receive the latest politics and government coverage from our team. 
You can subscribe to that on our politics newsletter at our website, thegazette.com. And lastly, don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo City Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Milk and Eggs will play us out this week. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the podcast, please send us a sound file. For Tom, Sarah, Jared, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you vote, and we'll be back here next week with all the post-election analysis. There's a hole in your heart, and you want to fill it so bad. Every time you fall asleep, you cry. So you better take your mind. Fall down all bitter and die Fall down all bitter and die Before you fall down bitter and die Yeah, you better take your mind And put it somewhere else for a while Before you fall down all bitter and die There's a space in your mind And you want to feel it so bad Every time you try and think you cry So you better take your soul And put it somewhere else for a while Before you fall down all bitter and die Fall down all bitter and die Before you fall down bitter and die Yeah, you better take your soul And put it somewhere else for a while Fall down all bitter and die There's a hole in your soul From all the bad things you've done And every time you think of it You cry So you better take your heart And put it somewhere else for a while For you fall down all bitter and die Fall down all bitter and die For you Fall.